Amen. Hey, John 3.16 is our anchor verse for this series on what the Bible says about the security of the believer. If I don't get it wrong, I'll try to lead you right in. If you want to quote it with me, let's quote it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What a great verse of Scripture that that is. If you would like to turn your Bible someplace, let's go to the book of, of Hebrews chapter 10, and we're just going to review really, really quickly where we left off last week. If you remember, too, a couple of weeks ago, well, not last week, but the last week we, we were together, uh, if you remember, I, I told you that we're going to look at our salvation in the three tenses of the salvation the Word of God presents it in as, as, as initial, as continual, and as final. And there's different words that could be applied to that for like salvation, sanctification, and glorification. So past, present, and future. A lot of different ways to refer to it as that. And, and we started looking at the work that Jesus did for our salvation, what he has done so that we could have it, what he is doing so that we can continue with it, and what he'll do uh, in the end, and we're heading towards what the Holy Spirit's work is in, in our salvation. When we get through with this, we'll look at, um, we'll look at 1 Corinthians, just to give you a heads up, the Lord willing, the way I feel led right now. We'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, That'll be connected with 2 Corinthians 5, which is the judgment seat of the believer, the Bema seat it is referred to, where we'll look at not our salvation being judged, but our works being judged, and we'll learn some good things there, and then we'll go from there. We'll look at, we'll look at people like Judas Iscariot, whether or not he was saved, small discussion on that. We'll look at 1 John 2, 19. And then we'll have good discussion on that because people want to know who is and who isn't saved. Well, I'm glad that's not my responsibility to figure out, and we'll say more about that at that time. Although, when I first got saved in my, in my spiritual heritage, somewhere or another I was made to believe because others did that that was part of my responsibility. I'm telling you, when I gave that up, it lightened my load a whole lot can't tell you how much. And then we'll look at some difficult passages like Hebrews chapter 6. A lot of people, you know, think, you know, you can lose your salvation. Or even in the book of um, Luke, I believe it is chapter 9, the longest chapter in the book of Luke. And, you know, if a man put his hand to the plow and looked back, he's no more fit for the kingdom. So we'll look at some scriptures that look like maybe, you know, you could lose your salvation, but they're actually, when you look at them, they're discipleship. Uh, passages and not anything to do with salvation. And before we're over, you know, we'll just do a week or two, whatever you all have on, oh, you know, open uh, questions and answers. Just try to dig in more to answer some things that you want. But if you, if you remember last week, we, we looked at some things at what Christ did here in uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to read verses 10 through 14 just simply to kind of refresh our mind. If you remember the book of Hebrews, it's, it's great. Um, one of its great key words is better. Uh, Jesus is presented throughout the book of Hebrews as better than the prophets, better, better than Aaron, better than Moses. His priesthood was better than the Aaronic priesthood, which presented or produced a better covenant than, than the Aaronic covenant. 
and he offered a better sacrifice. His blood was better uh, than the blood of bulls and goats because here in chapter 10 it tells us, that, tells us that the blood of Christ cleanses our conscience. How many of you remember your conscience, how it felt and how it bothered you before you got saved as opposed to how it is now? See, now our conscience is clear. It's being purged so that we can serve God acceptably. Now, we still have memories, right, of our past life. <clears throat> Sometimes we have more than, well, I wish I had. You can answer for yourself. But uh, the conscience doesn't bother us like it does. And I don't know how God did that, but I know he did it through the life, the death, the burial and the resurrection of Christ, the blood that he shed. But beginning in verse 10 down through 14, the word of God says, um, by the which, and Jesus had just been talking about uh, the reason that he came, it was written in the volume of thy book, O Lord, to do thy will. He said, by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ. Say the phrase with me out loud, once for all. Now, as we go through this book of Hebrews, especially in chapter 9, on over to chapter, well, maybe the latter part of chapter 10 especially, we'll hear the word once or the phrase once for all or once in the end of the world uh, to show how final what Jesus has done for us. And in that, it's always connected with something that is related to us. Like here, listen to it again. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now this is in, this is in contrast or in comparison to all the sacrifices that were offered under the Aaronic priesthood, under, under the civil or the ceremonial law that God gave to Moses at the foot of Mount Sinai when the children of Israel had been delivered after 400 plus years of bondage, brought there by the grace of God, formed into a nation before they started their journey towards the land of promise. And Jesus was presented in a greater way, his sacrifice again greater than all of those that were offered in the Old Testament under the Aaronic uh, system of sacrifices. And Jesus only had to offer one sacrifice, one time in the end of the world for all men, everybody in here saved, say amen, to be sanctified forever, to be set apart, to be declared holy, to be called saints. Now y'all know that there is a particular group, it's a large group, it's Roman Catholic Church, I don't care to say it, that they believe that you cannot reach sainthood before you die. Somebody else examines your life, and then they vote to see whether you reach it. Well, I want to tell you, April the 23rd, 1974, when I went down to the altar, I went down a sinner, got up a saint, and nobody voted on it. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, made it sure. And he sanctified me, listen, forever. Now, if you remember, though, and there's no contradiction here, it's an initial sanctification. It is a, an, an initial setting apart from the world unto God for His service, for Him. Okay? That's the beginning. It's initial. But remember our Christianity and our walk with the Lord and our progression towards glorification is just that. It is progressive. 
It is day by day. And I'll go ahead and tell you this. We get to, uh, to, to the subject looking at the work of the Holy Spirit. We'll find that our personal sanctification, that after our initial sanctification uh, began, we're to work on it day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, until we're finally changed into his likeness completely. And the thing is, the good thing, man, I was glad to hear this when I learned this long ago. I'm not just doing it by myself. The Holy Spirit that dwells in me enables me to do that and you too, day after day after day. That's some shouting ground in my opinion. So we find here in this passage, we looked at it last week, that we are perfected once for all. What does once for all mean? I don't want a De- Webster's de- definition unless you got it, but somebody just real quickly, what's once for all? What's it mean? Once for all, right? There are some definitions that you can use by using what you're asking to define, and it means forever. That's it. And we're talking about eternal life, talking about eternal security of the believer. And let me emphasize this. I hope you're feeling half as good as I am back there as I am up here. Listen, friend, it, 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 is, it is something that Jesus does and not me. All I did was admitted that I was a sinner, repented of my sin, and the best I know how, received Christ as my Savior. He did the work. Isn't that amazing? Thank God, thank God, thank God. I was never able to save myself And before I come to the knowledge of these truths that I'm trying to share with all of you all, folks that are listening in, we're glad that you are listening through sermon audio. I'm here to tell you, friend, it was a great day when I learned, when I learned and was able to accept that since I couldn't save myself, I couldn't keep myself, but one could, he is, he has, and he will. See, that's enough to make us rejoice. So look, let's read on. We'll get down to verse 14 and move on. And every priest standeth daily, ministering, and often, often, oftentimes the same sacrifices which could never take away sin. They, they atoned them or covered them, and they rolled them forward to the cross. That's what the Day of Atonement was all about. You'll find the Day of Atonement mentioned in the, <clears throat> the book of Leviticus 23, and I'm thinking chapter 16 of the book of Leviticus, I may be wrong on that, maybe chapter 17, but, but it was a yearly feast and festival that all the children of Israel were required to come, and it was a very high and holy day, and when the two goats that were often offered, and one was sacrificed, his blood was shed and applied, the other one was let go after Aaron put his hands on the head of that goat and confessed all the sins of the nation of Israel, and that goat was led to a, to a place of wilderness where no man uh, dwelt by a fit man, and he was turned loose. Tradition says he was led to a rock cliff and helped over, uh, so he'd never be found. But it's a beautiful picture of Christ cleansing us by the blood from all of our sins and putting them into the place where they'd never be remembered against us again. So there's a lot of beauty in that if you'd like to read about it. Verse 12, but look, 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 what, what, what's it start with? What's the word? My favorite word. On the other hand, this man, meaning Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, forever sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? Because he was tired? He's finished, wasn't he? His work was done. He offered a once-for-all sacrifice for all mankind for all of eternity. And look at what we get from that. 
from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool for by one offering. Now we ought to be getting this. That word one's been repeated a few times. He said for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. I say glory. Absolutely good news. What's the word perfected mean? What? Complete? Anybody else? Nothing need to be added to that, right? Y'all know sometimes from the pulpit, I'll say things and other preachers will do. Like I'll tell you, we, though, though we're imperfect as Christians, we've got a perfect salvation. Here's my verse for that. I don't always tell you that, but, but most of the time, let me, can I tell y'all a secret about preachers? Preachers don't say anything from the pulpit that they don't believe. Now, they may be wrong in what they believe. I'm sure at times I am. I don't try to be. I don't want to be. I'll never tell you all or anybody else something that I know to be untrue as if it were true and try to sell you on it. I won't do that. I will not, although I know preachers that do and have. But preachers won't tell you. They won't preach anything that they don't believe. I'll guarantee you uh, I'll guarantee you that. Let me give you a sister verse to go with that. Uh, turn with me quickly to the book of Colossians chapter 3, I believe it is. I'm trying to get there before you do. Yeah, it is. it's chapter 2 actually. Chapter 2 and verse 10. If you, if you mark your Bible, I'd encourage you to mark this one. If you uh, look for a good simple verse to memorize or even a half a verse to memorize, this is a good one. But uh, Colossians 3, 10. I'll give you a couple minutes to still hear pages going a little bit. Great verse. I'll go ahead and get verse 9 with it just to pick up the flow. For in him, speaking of Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And watch this. I love this. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and powers. I'll tell you what, friend. I'm glad that in Christ I'm complete or I'm perfect. Now let me tell you a little secret. Let me tell you a little secret about this. When God looks at us, He doesn't see us. He sees us in His Son. Therefore, He sees His Son in us and we in Him. And that's how He is able to see us as perfect. That's how He is able to declare us righteous while we're still in our sinning state. That's how He's able, friend, to see us not only as if we had not sinned, but as if we had never been a sinner. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's, a, that's shouting ground too, by the way. All right, let's pick up a couple other things. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, very familiar passage to, to Bible readers. And here Paul presents to us biblically what the definition of the gospel is. Now, a couple of these things, I want to run through them real quick. If you have any question on them, interrupt me. Otherwise, I'm just going to like just draw our attention to them and, and pass on. Because what we've already looked at in Hebrews 10 tells us all that we need to know. But I just wanted to back it up and confirm it with other things as to why we are who we are and what we are because of Christ. Now, everyone in here knows that Christ died for us. If you do, say amen. Here are four verses of Scripture 
that are worthy of being marked, especially verses 3 and 4. And if you can learn to quote verse 3 and 4, that'll add to your repertoire of of scriptures that that you can use. And I'm going to read the first four verses. And it's amazing, just another comment. To one of thee, and actually it's the most carnal church we have record of in the New Testament. Philippians is probably the greatest, in my opinions. Um, But here in this church where Paul had more divisions, more, more, more trouble. They, they, they had trouble. Doctor, I mean, they had sin like you would not believe. We've got some of the greatest chapters of, of Scripture that we have anywhere in the Word of God. We've got this one, for instance, on the resurrection. Find it in that place where Paul wrote one of his epistles uh, to a church that stood in need, and that's why they've got what they got. He said, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which ye are saved. We can never be saved without the gospel. If you heard me say that, say amen. Gotta have the gospel. By which ye are saved, if or since ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. He said, look now, for I delivered unto you, first of all, meaning of primary importance. This is fundamental. Can't go, any, can't go any farther until you start right here. This is the fundamental uh, cornerstone, if you will, of Christianity. It's where everything begins and everything ends when you put it all together. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, For I delivered unto you first of all that which also received, how that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried according to the scriptures and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures christ died for our sins i've told you before i'm going to continue to tell you i think it's the five greatest words that there is in the word of god put together there you see friend we didn't die for our sins christ did and christ doesn't do a halfway job. And if we get tonight to a verse over in Romans chapter 8, I'll try to show you, uh, show you that. Look, friend, Christ's death was perfect. If Christ could die for all mankind, and then before all of us get to heaven that he died for and really trusted Christ as our Savior, if he lost one, then his death would be imperfect. Right? That would mean he didn't die for all of us. Christ died for all of our sins. And look, if you remember one of the parables, I wish I remember where it's at. Maybe, maybe Luke 15, I'd have to check. Look, when he starts with 100 sheep, guess how many he ends with? 100 sheep, 100 sheep. See, that ought to make you sleep good tonight. Uh, remember too, Isaiah 53 and 6, you don't have to turn there. But again, this is a good Bible verse to memorize. It's not hard. He said, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own ways. And that, that pretty much identified me before I come to Christ. But God, meaning, but, but, but the Lord. Hold on just a second. Let me quote it again. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, meaning God, laid upon him, meaning Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. I can't imagine how that felt to Jesus. I mean, I, I, I just, it mesmerizes me that the fact that he took on him my sin, that I was the cause of his death. But can you imagine all the sins of all mankind for all time? 
It's no wonder he cried in the Garden of Gethsemane that night, Father, if it be possible, and a holy God now praying, a holy God that's not even one speck of sin in him or on him, prayed and said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. That cup was my sins and your sins. And he drank it. He not only drank, he became my sin and your sin. Oh, what a Savior. Let's go quickly, too, to... Um, oh, let's go to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Get three verses there. And while you're turning, let me add something to what, what I've already said. When Christ came, he came to die for us. That's what he said in Hebrews 10. It was written in the volume of thy book, O Lord, to do thy will. And when he came, he identified himself with us in his birth. He became like us so that we could become like him. He that was rich became poor, that we that are poor might be made rich. That's what he says in the book of 1 Corinthians 9. There is a saying, I don't believe it's a Bible uh, passage, but it's based on that. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become the sons of God. He identified with us in his birth. He was made like another. That's what Paul tells us here in Philippians. He identified with us in the baptism that Matthew records, and so, so does Mark. No, Luke does. I'm not sure what Mark does. He may mention it. But uh, when he was standing in Jordan, he identified with the sinner in his baptism. He wasn't baptized because he had sin. He was baptized so John would recognize him, so he would uh, relate with me and you. Because if you remember, Matthew chapter 1, 1 says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He identified with mankind in Abraham. He identified with royalty that he was, the king of the Jews through David. And there's more that we said there. And then the final thing, not only was he identified with us in his birth and in his baptism, but in his death. And those scriptures that I just gave you, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for our sins, Isaiah 53, 6, and others that we could do. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he that knew no sin became, uh, became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When a, when a man by the name of Martin Luther, if that's who it was, and I'm, I think my memory is clear, when he was pondering one day on a verse of Scripture that you'll find uh, two places, maybe three in the Synoptic Gospels. He didn't say it in John because he was God. He cried and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And as Martin Luther came away, they say the history books about him, as he was meditating on that for a long period of time, he came out with this conclusion, God forsaken by God. Isn't that beautiful? That says so much in such a succinct way. And then finally, he identified with us in burial. If you remember Isaiah 53 again and 9, he made his, he made his, what? Let me, let me read it. Wish I could get it all together, but I can't. It's one I need to remember. Hey, there are times when you're learning, trying to learn Scripture. If you're like me, you'll try and try and try. Think you have it together, and then we need to quote it. It'll flee from me. It says in 53 and 9, And he made his grave with the wicked, 
and with the rich in his death. Remember, he was crucified between two malefactors and he was buried in a borrowed tomb of a rich man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Hey folks, this word is amazing. Y'all know that though already. So Philippians 2, um, verses 6, 7, and 8. Now, this is what is referred to as the kenosis, K-E-N-O-S-I-S passage, kenosis. Um, It has to do with the self-emptying of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be God, to step down off of his eternal throne and enter into the stream of humanity by a virgin's womb? Existing in all eternity, larger than the universe itself. If you remember, when Solomon's getting ready to dedicate the temple and he began to pray for it, and he said, this house, he said, well, this house cannot contain thee. He said, the heavens of the heavens cannot contain thee, let alone this house, a poor quotation of a great passage of Scripture. God's, and yet God was able to confine himself to the inside of a woman's womb. Y'all know why? For me and you. Isn't that amazing? That, that just, those kind of things just absolutely blow me away. So when he left glory, he emptied himself of certain things, certain, certain parts of what made him God. Now let me tell you what he didn't empty himself of. He didn't empty himself of his deity. He was always God. God in the flesh, God before he took upon himself flesh, and now he's back at the right hand of the Father. Though he took his body with him, he's still God. But here's what I believe we can prove in the Word of God, that he did lay down, I believe he laid down his royal glory, his robes of glory, the glory that he had with the Father from the beginning. John 17 tells us that. So listen to how Paul writes this kenosis passage to us. I'll pick it up in verse 5 so it'll identify who we're talking about. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation. That's, that's the kenosis. And took upon himself the form of the servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death. Listen to this next phrase. Look at this next word, even the death of the cross. Have you all ever wondered why God sent Jesus into the world when he did? Now, I know Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. But you all do know that when Christ came, he came to die the most ignominious death that man had ever been able to invent. The cross was the most cruel, agonizing death that any man has ever tried to create, or not create, but to invent. You know, the only thing that I can really in my meditations and studies and thinking to conceive, when you begin to look at the cross, how gross it was, I, I, I don't think if I'd have been there that I could have looked upon it. I know my character. I, I don't like gory movies. I don't, I don't like to watch people suffer. I just, I just, it, it, it's revolting to me. I just can't take it. It lets me think 
But God wants us to know just exactly how he looks upon my sin and your sin. If he was willing to die such a death like that, maybe you and I ought to look at our sins a whole lot closer. I don't know if that helped you, but it, it helped me. And Jesus, that's what he did so that we could be saved. A couple more, really, really quickly. Turn to the book of Romans chapter 8, verses, we'll look at verse 30 and 34. This is absolutely a phenomenal passage of Scripture. I mean, the book of Romans, it, it's one of the greatest. And uh, chapter 8, no doubt, is the heart of uh, the book of Romans. Chapter 8 of the book of Romans. This chapter begins with the declaration that those who are in Christ are no longer under condemnation. We have no death sentence upon us now. We were born into this world with the sentence of death upon us. It wasn't a matter of would we die. The, the, the question is, when will we die? But since we've come to know Christ, we're no longer going to die. We're going to live forever. How many of you are saved in here tonight? Let me ask you again, say amen. How many of you know then, because you are, you've got eternal life. You'll never die. See, the body will if we're here, you know, leave before the Lord comes, but we'll never die. How wonderful, how wonderful that is. Pick it up in verse 30 and following. He said, moreover, whom he did predestinate, now watch this, then he also called. Whom he called, then he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Can I tell you something? The number of those that he justified will be the same number of those that he will glorify. Y'all get that? You sure? I'm not sure you are. Can I say it again? When we get there, now listen, the same number that he said he justified will be the same number that he glorifies. You know what that means? He's not going to lose anybody. If we are truly saved, if we have been redeemed and born again, born from above, and become a partaker of the divine nature, one day he'll finish what he started, and here's where the glorification for us will come in. We'll be changed into his likeness. That's what he said in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, I believe it is, 3, or 3 and 20. Uh, 1 John 3 and 2, we shall see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. If we're justified, and I want to give you my definition of justification, then we're going to be glorified one day. There's not going to be any lost. Justification means this. It is a judicial act of God, whereby, in, in light of what Jesus did at Calvary, he is able to declare the believing sinner, righteous, okay? Not make, but declare the believing sinner righteous. And this is a capstone for me while still in a sinning state. I say glory to God about that. He goes on to say in verse 31, What shall we think, say then to these things? He asks, us a, asks a question, and Paul does a lot of that in the book of Romans, and then answers them. If God be for us, who can be against us? What's the answer? No one. 
and nothing, we're going to find out, before this chapter is completed. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? What's the answer? No one or no thing. And by the way, the word elect means, now, we're living in a day when there is a large uprising of uh, what they call hyper-Calvinism. It's the Reformed Church. There are good men in it. I believe they're saved, but I believe they're wrong at what they teach. Christ did not shed a limited atonement or shed his blood for a limited group of people. He shed it for whosoever will. You see, I believe I can see election where God does the choosing and we have no choice about things in the book of John 6 and 38 or 37 the Bible said Jesus did all that the father giveth me shall come unto me and he that cometh unto me I shall in no wise cast out we have election in the beginning of that verse free will in the latter part of that verse but see I'm about to get happy because I know what I'm going to tell you Hey, look, when you accept him and you get in, that means you're the elect too. All right? Amen. So, he goes on to say, Who is he? Who It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is God that died. And watch how he says, Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. That's one of the three times we find him making intercession, continual intercession for us. We'll find probably next week that we have an advocate with the Father sitting at the right hand of God, and it is the man, Jesus Christ. He's there in that body. Let's go on and read the last, the last five verses of this chapter. Paul continues. And he asks a question and then answers it. Who, or you could say what, to go along with it, shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? It is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And we ought to get persuaded like Paul. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present or things to come, nor height, the depth, or any other creature shall be able to set separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want to say glory, hallelujah. Nothing can separate us from Christ if we are in him. Now you see, that's the big question. That is the big question. None of us know who are in Christ and out for sure. We can be a fruit inspector, and we're supposed to be. We are to judge. People don't like that, but the Word of God, the Word of God commands us to. Hey, he that is spiritual judgeth all things, the Word of God says. The place that people use that verse, thou shalt not judge, Matthew chapter 7. They don't read the rest of the chapter because the rest of the chapter teaches that we are supposed to judge who is a false prophet and who is not. So with that in mind here in Romans, let's go maybe to our final verse in Hebrews chapter 7. 
See, do you ever have eyes bigger than your belly? Anybody else ever guilty of that? That means you put more food on your plate. Of course, Josh Scarberry can never do this. Or get more food on your plate at Golden Corral and, and find out you couldn't eat it. Well, I, spiritually, I do that. When I'm preparing to teach, I'm thinking, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough to get through 30 minutes, and I'll get down here, and, and you know, that means I'm already ahead for next week, but I'm glad. Listen to what he said. A, a great verse. I'd encourage you to mark it if you mark your Bible. This is an easy one to commit to memory, and it, it'll, it'll help you. I guarantee you it'll help you. He's talking about Christ now, and he's talking about uh, the difference between the Aaronic priests uh, that died and uh, were replaced, the priesthood of Christ, which is after the order of Melchizedek, is a continual priesthood. He died once, and he'll never die again. And I'll pick it up in verse 25, just for the flow again. And they truly, speaking about Aaron, his descendants, were many priests because they were not suffered or allowed to continue by reason of death. But, boy, I like that, but this man, but this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. You remember when we studied Romans chapter 5, and we looked a lot at verse 10, where it says, Christ died for us, much more he liveth. You remember that? We'll go back and read that again in a minute. You see, it's all about Christ. We couldn't save ourselves. We said amen to that. We, we couldn't work our own salvation. The Word of God teaches that in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But Christ did all for us that needs to be done, and He's still continuing to do what we cannot do because it goes on to say in verse 27, Wherefore, He is able to save also. I like that. He is able to uh, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. What's the word uttermost mean? You all know, not much more, but all the way to the end, to complete it, all the way. Now, see, when I grew up, where I grew up, and I'm not, I'm not trying, trying to criticize I'm thankful for my upbringing and all that I learned. But they used to say, and I'm sure y'all probably heard somebody say it, that he'll save from the uttermost to the guttermost. Y'all ever heard that? It's kind of like quantifying it and saying, well, from a certain kind of people to another certain kind of people. I thought that's the way you rightly interpreted that until I began to read the scriptures, and that's not what it was. You remember when we talked a couple of weeks ago about Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13 where, where he said that we're to work out our salvation, uh, uh, you know, work out your own salvation. You remember that? Remember I said that we're to work it out all the way to the end? Well, there is a sense of that's what Jesus is doing. In his intercession that he is making for me and you, he assures that we'll make it all the way. See, our salvation, friend, listen, People may think I'm crazy. It doesn't depend on us. It depends on Him. Now, it depends on us in that we've got to accept Him to get it. But the maintaining of it, the keeping of it, is all about Him. And so will the glory be. See, this is what it's all about. 
Everybody in here has said twice that, that they're saved. We're saved, so we'll glorify God. We, we get the benefits of this. But listen, He has created all things so that He might be glorified in all things. That, that ultimately is what it's about. Now listen to what He says, and we will close on this. He said, He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Why does Paul say that? Because we need an intercessor. Turn quickly to the book of 1 John, and I'll quit on this. I, I didn't mean to fib, but you've got to get this. It goes, it goes right with it. 1 John chapter 2. See, John, and we'll, we'll look at some things. We're going to look at four different chapters, just an overview of them in a couple of weeks. And because John is writing a letter to the family of God, to his children, and he's so honest, he's so open, he's going to tell us, that not everybody that claims to be saved is saved. And John's going to say it in no uncertain terms. And I've told you all that. Not everybody comes to the altar, has some kind of experience, prays some kind of prayer, is saved. And their life will prove whether they are or not. Listen to what John said. John had been talking in chapter 5 about how to have fellowship with Christ. And it's not by walking in darkness. He even tells us if we walk in darkness, the fellowship with God, not relationship with God, but fellowship with God is broken. If we're truly a child of God, we can still sin. Everybody that knows that we still sin since we've, got, or since we've been saved, say amen. Okay? We don't like it. We shouldn't practice it. But we've still got that old nature about us. And Paul told us a long time ago, when I would do good, I find that evil is ever present. Okay? Can't get any plainer than that. So John is telling us here about what we do when we sin. Look back at verse 9. If or since we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. He said back up in verse 7. What if we don't confess? People ask me all the time. We could go to Hebrews 12 if somebody reminds me. And God will take his children to the, to, the, to the barn and take the last to them until they confess. I can take you to 1 John 5 and show you and back it up to 1 Corinthians 11 to where if we don't confess and we're really a child of God, he'll take us home. He'll take us out of this life just like me and you would take our children out of a situation that we warned them about time and again. How many of y'all had your mom or dad to call you in the house, you know, when summer was going good and everybody's laughing and playing and, and you'd already been in trouble twice and you got the third warning and dad said, now the next time you're coming in and you're going to get it. Anybody else ever had dad? Dad always kept his word, by the way. You, I, and that God will do us that way. I can prove it to you, 1 John 5, and I, I intend to do that. But look here at 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to pick it up and go back to verse 10 to just get a flow. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. He said on up above that, if we say we have no sin, we're a liar and have deceived ourselves. He said, but my little children, these things have I written unto you that ye sin not. John is not saying, I'm writing this so you can go on and sin. You see, that's what, the, that's what the believers at Rome thought. Paul was talking about the grace of God, how we're saved, justified, not by works, but by faith. And, and, and the Romans thought, well, 
You know, if God's going to give us grace every time that we sin, why don't we sin as much as we can? And, and Paul answered the question. Paul asked, said, look, shall we therefore continue in sin that grace may abound? How did he answer? Two words. God forbid. Perish that thought. So John didn't write this. And tell us what he did above this about sin in the believer's life. When he goes on to say, we have an advocate with the Father. These things have written unto you that ye sin not, but if, or since, or in light of the fact that any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is a propitiation or a mercy seat, not for our sins only, but for the sins of all the world. Isn't that wonderful? Have you ever needed him? Boy, I have. And he's there representing me and you with those narrow, pierced hands and feet. His blood's been applied in heaven. That's how he entered, by his own blood. Hebrews 10 tells us. And what he's doing in heaven now. He's sitting because his work's done as far as his priestly work on planet earth is concerned. But he continues making intercession for me and you in light of the one sacrifice that he offered, Hebrews 9 tells us, in the end of the world, so that we're sure to live eternally with him. I'm just trying to show you what the Bible says about the eternal security of the believer. Isn't that wonderful? Questions, comments? Was all of it clear tonight? Y'all better mark it on the calendar. That doesn't happen often if I make it clear. I try real hard. Again, next week what we'll do, we'll look, we'll look at how the Holy Spirit's work that He has done in bringing us to Christ, in birthing us into the body of Christ, and what He continues to do for us now. You, you, if you want to look at the Scriptures that talk about being sealed by the Spirit, you'll find three passages that do that. You'll find the word earnest of the Spirit. We'll look at that and We'll just look at the work of the Holy Spirit did and is still doing uh, like we did at Jesus Christ. Is this helpful tonight? Okay. Man, I'm telling you, it just, this kind of stuff's making me sleep better. It really does. All right, don't forget Bible study tomorrow night. Looking forward, not Bible study, looking forward to our family night tomorrow night. Brother Adam Lowe will be preaching. Looking forward to that. Any other requests, comments? Thank you for coming. Father, we're certainly thankful for the privilege of being here. And we're thankful, Lord, for your word. How precious, how precious that it is. Thankful, Lord, that you didn't give us oral tradition that no doubt would change to some degree across generations of time. But thankful, God, that in your wisdom and your foresight, you saw fit to give us word transmitted by the Holy Ghost to holy men of God who wrote it, God, you inspired it, and also, I believe with all of my heart, have preserved it. God, I'm thankful for that. We love you for it, and we praise you. Help us to live, God, in a way that will honor you. In the name of Jesus, amen.